Welcome. Welcome to Substance Church. If you're visiting with us for the first time, we are so thankful that you're here today. Um, and if you don't have a Bible, we've got some Bibles in the back there that you can grab as a gift uh, from the church. Um, if you want, you can just follow along on your own device using the English Standard Version. That's how we roll here. Um, my name is Mark, and I'm one of the pastors here at Substance Church. Uh, we have been going through the Gospel of John, again here, back in John's Gospel. And we will be in a very long passage of Scripture. John chapter 13, 36 through 38. That was a joke and nobody got it, so there you go. All right. I love Peter. I mean, don't you? I mean, over and over again, we see in John's Gospel, we see in other Gospels, him say things that uh, you're like, well, good, I don't feel so bad now, right? <laughs> I mean, he'll say things like earlier in John, he says in John chapter 6, he says uh, after, you know, Jesus has had this really hard statement, um, and a lot of disciples, a lot of followers are, are starting to leave him, uh, which basically showed that they weren't even following him to begin with. And what does Peter say? Peter gets up and he says, Lord, to whom shall we go? For you have the words of eternal life. And then later on we see Peter in the upper room. Uh, and that's where we're at. We're in the upper room discourse, chapters 13 all the way through 17. And we see Peter refusing to have his feet washed by Jesus. <laughs> and Basically, Peter, after Jesus convinces him that he needs to have his feet washed by him, he's like, well, then don't just wash my feet. Just give me a bath instead. Wash my whole body. And then there's another uh, time it's in uh, other Gospels where he is experiencing Jesus being transformed on the mount, on this mountain, uh, and the transfiguration is taking place. And Moses and Elijah show up, one of the two greatest, pro or two greatest prophets in Israel's history. And what does he say? Hey, we better get them hospitality here. Let's, t let's pitch a tent and let them stay for a while, right? We love Peter. The question is, why do we love Peter? Why do we love Peter so much? Probably because we can identify with him so easily. And I think it's because we see in him ourselves. He's human. He has flaws. Peter is determined to follow Jesus, and he has his plans. He has his way of doing things that he believes are the right way. Sound familiar? He is determined, and yet at times, he fails at following Jesus. He fails at being a disciple-maker. Why? That's what we're going to look at today, taking a closer look at why. Because of his own self-sufficiency and sin and weakness. We, too, at times can say, 
okay, Jesus, I got this. Let's go. Let's roll. I will follow you no matter what happens in my life. And then other times, we fail to follow Jesus. Why? Because of our own self-sufficiency and sin and weaknesses. Our passage this morning is Jesus foretelling of Peter's denial. And spoiler alert, he denies Jesus. If you haven't grown up in the church, all right? He denies Jesus. What Jesus foretells comes true. So read along with me in John chapter 13, verses 36 and 38. Through 38. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus answered him, where I am going, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow afterward. Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. Jesus answered, Will you lay down your life for me? Truly, truly, I say to you, the rooster will not crow till you have denied me three times. This is God's precious word. How many of you have seen the movie The Jesus Revolution? How many? Few? Few? Well, I'll be giving another spoiler alert here. So if you haven't seen it, I mean, it came out in February, so you might want to go see it. It's an excellent movie, great movie. It's a movie, you know, it's based on a true story. Um, there are artistic licenses and things like that. But there is a powerful scene in the movie towards the end of the movie. And Pastor Chuck Smith, the pastor of Calvary Chapel, who's been convinced by Lonnie Frisbee, who's a hippie, whose life has been changed by Jesus Christ, and he is somewhat of a charismatic guy and so on. Anyway, he is, uh, there's this part in the scene in the movie where Lonnie Frisbee is no longer there because Pastor Chuck has said, look, it's, it's time for you to leave. You're drawing the attention to yourself and not to God. And so Chuck feels like he's failed Jesus. He feels like he has maybe been too hard on Lonnie Frisbee and, uh, and, and against the hippies of, of his day and so on. And yet he's behind stage and there is a tent full of people who are waiting to hear hope and the gospel and truth. And his wife gently reminds him and says these words. This is from the movie. Don't be so arrogant to think God can't work through your failures. Isn't that beautiful? Don't be so arrogant to think God can't work through your failures. In this passage this morning, we're going to see Jesus foretell 
Peter's failure to follow him. Why? Peter seems, at first, bold, confident, ready to take on the world. But Jesus knows that Peter's sense of strength is about to become his weakness. We, like Peter, can often believe the lie that in order to follow Jesus, we need to have a certain sense of self-sufficiency, self-reliance, and self-dependency. Peter, and even the rest of the disciples, thought, we're strong, Jesus. We can handle this, Jesus. We can follow you, Jesus, wherever you go. But in reality, they were spiritually weak and in desperate need of the grace of God once more. So Peter's lesson is our lesson as well. We are spiritually weak and in desperate need of the grace of God. See, following Jesus, our following Jesus is not based on our self-sufficiency, but in Jesus who is all-sufficient. I believe there's two lessons here that we can learn from this short passage in light of Peter's denial. Our self-sufficiency often blinds us to the realities of following Jesus. And secondly, Jesus knows what it takes to follow him, himself. So let's think about the context here of Peter and Jesus' conversation. Jesus has just finished sharing with the 11 disciples. Judas at this time has left the upper room to, to betray Jesus. We are literally hours away from Jesus' arrest, from his trial, and his crucifixion. Soon, Jesus will not be with his disciples. And where he is going, they cannot come just yet. He commands them to live sacrificially in love for one another as he has for them. In verses 34 and 35, we see this. Peter, however, is more concerned with Jesus' departure than his command. <laughs> and insists on finding out where he is going. His conversation with Jesus once again leaves him humbled. Our self-sufficiency blinds us to the realities of following Jesus. So Peter boldly asks Jesus where he is going. Look with me there again in verse 36. Starting there, Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus answered him, where I am going, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow afterward. It's almost like Peter didn't even hear that. Because then Peter questions Jesus again and then makes a bold statement and says, why can I not follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. So Jesus, knowing all that would take place with Peter, asks him, this very pointed question, will you lay your life down for me? 
Truly, truly, I say to you, the rooster will not crow till you have denied me three times. Now, why would Jesus tell Peter he's going to deny him three times? Here's why I think it is. Jesus wanted Peter and us to see that following him isn't about how confident or courageous we might think we are, but how powerless we are and in need of his transforming grace. Think about Peter. He must have been stunned by Jesus' words because he does not say another word until his denial of Jesus in John chapter 18. You really have to admire Peter's devotion to Jesus, don't you? Peter knew death was a reality for Jesus and the other disciples. He just had no idea that he was not ready to lay his life down for Jesus just yet. So to understand just how confident Peter was, we need to look at the other gospel accounts. So turn with me in your Bibles to Matthew's account in Matthew 26. In verses 33 and 35. In Matthew's gospel, Jesus lets all his disciples know that they will all fall away. And here's Peter's response. Though they all fall away, fall away because of you, I will never fall away. Then he goes on to say in verse 35, even if I must die with you, I will not deny you. In Luke's gospel, Peter responds to Jesus by saying this, I am ready to go with you both to prison and to death. In Luke 22, verse 33, are you starting to get the picture here? Can you hear his confident tone? Peter was saying to Jesus, I know you say that I am going to fall, that I'm going to deny you, but that is not going to happen on my watch. Bring it on, Jesus. <laughs> I can take it. And yet, Peter denies Jesus. Peter was confident in the upper room. He felt like he had all the confidence in the world surrounded by all his friends in Jesus. But after Jesus was arrested and all his disciples scattered, Peter's confidence just melted away. We don't have time this morning to look at Peter's denial. But what we see, though, at the end of Peter's denial is that Peter is humbled. And that after he denies Jesus three times, according to Mark's gospel and his account, Peter breaks down and weeps. In Mark 14, verse 72. 
See, sometimes when we fail to follow Jesus, we do so because we are too confident in ourselves, in our beliefs about Jesus, rather than the one we believe in. When we trust in our strengths, we tend to forget that we are but just broken jars of clay used for the potter's glory. It's really not until we are brought to the end of ourselves that we realize that our sufficiency is in the Lord. Some of you know my background of being in church planting. Pastored two church plants. I didn't plant those churches. Uh, I came in as the next guy they thought was going to take him to the next level. And we came out of a mega church in Wheaton, Illinois. Just graduated from seminary. I was um, getting started and full-time ministry. The Lord rescued me at 22, and then by the time I got to uh, uh, basically 38 years old, okay, I'm going into full-time ministry now. Here's my first church. I came in bright and bushy-eyed, had all my ideals, had my core values, had my vision. Basically, I kind of just took what I was being fed at the mega church and thought, I'll just import these values because they're solid, they're biblical, so why not just import these values into the church that I was pastoring now? Four and a half months into my first pastorate, the church split. And it wasn't very long until I realized that my sufficiency wasn't in my core values. It wasn't even in sound doctrine, as good as those things are. It wasn't in my gifts of speaking or abilities or confidence that I thought I had. But it was in Jesus Christ who died for me and laid his life down for me. See, I thought that planting a church that I would then begin my career preaching ministry because I sat under that. But what God was doing that I didn't realize was that he was planting me deeper into him. And that's what I needed. So let's be honest, we are all bent to depend on our strengths rather than the Lord. It's easy to depend on our strengths when there is no trial or there is no hardship or there is no testing in our lives. But when that time of testing or wilderness comes, we too are challenged with Jesus' words, aren't we? Will you lay your life down for me? You get news of a 
terminal disease. Maybe you're in that right now. I don't know. And Jesus' question for you is, will you lay your life down for me? Maybe you've blown it as a parent. And you've said the same thing that you've said to your child over and over again, and you've seen the hurt that is in their eyes. And Jesus' question for you is, will you lay your life down for me? In your relationships, you've wounded someone because of pride. And Jesus' question to you is, will you lay your life down for me? Basically, the question is, are you willing to change? Are you willing to follow me? What strengths do you give more credit to than what they're really worth? Think about this with me. Is it your intelligence? Is it your charming personality? Is it your attractive appearance? <laughs> All kidding aside, maybe you pride yourself on your knowledge of the Bible. You've got all kinds of verses memorized. Or you're an administrator extraordinaire. Or maybe you pride yourself on how disciplined you are with your time. Maybe you boast in your independence and you feel like you just don't need to depend on anyone but yourself. Listen, we all fail in following Jesus. But by God's grace, his grace is greater than our failures in following Jesus. Amen? No matter what strengths that we have, it will never be enough to sustain us in following Jesus. I love what Jeremiah 9, 23 through 24 says. Thus says the Lord, let not the wise man boast in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man boast in his might. Let not the rich man boast in his riches. But let him who boasts boast in this. It doesn't say that he understands how to respond to conflict. It doesn't say that he understands sound doctrine, as great as that is. It doesn't say that he understands how to talk to people, how to build relationships. No, it says that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord. Following Jesus is not based on our self-sufficiency, but in Jesus, who is all-sufficient. Here's the second lesson we can take from this, is that Jesus knows what it takes to follow him, and that's himself. Jesus knew Peter must be humbled before he could be exalted. 
Because that is the way of following Jesus. The way up is the way down. Before we can appreciate the grace of God in our own lives, we must experience the humiliation of our self-sufficiency, sin, and even our own weaknesses. See, when Peter was in the upper room boldly letting Jesus know that he was willing to lay down his life for him, he had not yet learned that the way up is the way down. Look at how Jesus responds to Peter. Peter actually repeats, John, uh, Jesus actually repeats Peter's bold claim in the form of a question. Will you lay your life down for me? This same language of laying one's life down, Jesus used earlier in John. Do you remember? Turn with me to John chapter 10. Verses 11 through 15. John chapter 10, verses 11 through 15. I am the good shepherd, Jesus says. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. Jesus repeats himself, I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me, I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. I don't think it's by accident in John's gospel that that same language is used in John chapter 10. So what is Jesus saying to Peter and to us? I think Jesus is saying this, that I am the good shepherd. I substitute myself for the sheep. Don't miss this now. Jesus is saying to Peter, Peter, you misunderstand me. You cannot lay your life down for me until I lay my life down for you. Church, there's the gospel. Jesus is our perfect, all-sufficient substitute who was willingly, willing to lay down his life for you and for me to the point of death on the cross. He satisfied God's wrath on our behalf and has declared us righteous. We are adopted, we are forgiven, we are redeemed and sealed by the Holy Spirit. Jesus willingly laid his life down for you. He is your substitute. If you do not know this Jesus, then I encourage you 
call you to repent and turn from your sin and embrace the one who has laid his life down for you. So what does it take to follow Jesus? It's Jesus. <laughs> it's Jesus. Later on, we're going to see this, but let's go there a little bit. John chapter 15. Turn with me there in your Bibles. John chapter 15, verses 4 through 5 says this. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, which is Jesus, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. You see it there? See, Jesus knew Peter was going to deny him, but he also knew, listen, Peter would come back stronger than ever. We see this in Luke's account. Turn with me to Luke chapter 22, verse 31. Luke 22, and in verse 31, he says this, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat, like really easily. But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail and when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. Wow. Peter realized later on that the way up is the way down in following Jesus. The Lord must tear us down before we can be built back up again. And as the Lord did with Peter, he does with all his followers, stripping us of our self-confidence, our self-assurance, only to give us a deeper and richer and more genuine and more humble faith and confidence in him. If you fast forward to the book of Acts, in Acts 4, verses 8 through 12, you can turn with me if you want. You don't have to. The promised Holy Spirit has come. And out of, not Peter's strength, but out of the Holy Spirit's strength, God's strength, Peter says this, Acts 4, 8 through 12, Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers of the people and elders. If we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by me, no, he doesn't say that, does he? 
He says that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Wow. Wow. That is God at work in his follower. Peter was bolder and more confident than ever, not because of his own strength, but because of the Lord's transforming and all-sufficient grace. Amen? Here's some closing thoughts. As I studied this passage, as I prepared, I could not help think about failure. I could not help think about failure. So I want to ask you a couple of questions, somewhat application questions about failure. The donuts can wait, as Jeff has said in the past. How do you view failure? Because however you view failure is going to seep into how you view your failure to follow Jesus. Were you raised to avoid it like the plague? And if you failed, that you were shamed. And that you felt like even more of a failure (laughs) and compounded. And that no matter how hard you tried to avoid failure, it always found you. And then more shame would come in that cycle, right? Or were you raised to think that failure was an opportunity to overcome your weaknesses? That the stronger you are, the more you will be able to overcome your failures. See, here's what happens. The first view of failure leads to condemnation. And the second view leads to self-righteousness and pride. And you know what? Both are rooted in what you do or don't do. The first view will make you think that you will never be worthy to follow Jesus. So why even try? And the second view will blind you to your need for him and his continual grace in your life. Let me challenge you to think of failure from a different perspective. To think of failure in following Jesus from a gospel-centered perspective. Failure is a reality in this life. Because of the fall. See, when God created the world, everything was good. But because of the fall, sin has stained everything that we put our hands to. It has shattered the world. It has made us weak. 
It has caused others to wound us. And for us to wound others. And it's a life where we lack wisdom. But see, God sent a deliverer who took on all our failures, all our sin, all our weaknesses, so that even in our failures in following him, we have hope. Our failures can be redeemed because of what Jesus has done, not based on what we will do or have done or won't do. So how do we respond when we fail to follow Jesus? When we fail to follow Jesus in our marriages, when we fail to follow Jesus in our parenting, when we fail to follow Jesus in our relationships, in our vocation, how do we respond? Is there a way out? We respond like Peter did. And sometimes those tears are going to come. And that's all right. And other times it might not. We respond with repentance. We press in to Jesus. We ask him for forgiveness once again that freely flows from the cross. We press into his word and we remind ourselves of his truth that our identity is in our Redeemer. Who knows we will fail him? But he also knows that by God's grace, we will return to him and be even stronger and more dependent on him. The Lord redeems our failures. We can ask the Spirit of God to change us and to wait on the Lord for the patience to see that change. That is grace. The other way that we respond is we respond with humility. And we, and we press into Jesus who is already pressing into us by his spirit. Why? Because his grace is all sufficient. 2 Corinthians 12, 9. I love this. And I'll close with this. My grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect. In what? In weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Let's pray. Father in heaven, glory be to your name and the grace that you freely and sacrificially poured out on our lives through your Son, Jesus Christ. We are not left alone to follow you. It does not come from our own power 
our own self-sufficiency. It comes from you by your Spirit. And we praise you. So Lord, give us strength when we fail you. And remind us, Lord, that you remain faithful no matter what. Even if we don't sometimes. In Jesus' name, amen.